I did it, and I'm crazy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host. Tonight, I'm going to talk about the case of Daniel Wozniak. Dan was born on March 23, 1984, and he was living in Costa Mesa City in California. He was an actor at the Community Theater, and it's while there he meets Rachel Buffett. She was the lead actress. She was also a princess at Disneyland, and she grew up in Long Beach. They had a lot in common, and they became best friends. They even decided to move in together. They moved into the Camden Martinique Apartments, and within some time, they became a couple, which led to them getting engaged. Sam Hur was 26, and he also lived in the apartment building. He became friends with both Daniel and Rachel. Sam was a war veteran who was back from Afghanistan. He decided that he was done with that, and he wanted to go back to college. So he enrolled at the Orange County College. Daniel and Rachel were so excited for the wedding, but there was just one problem. Money. Daniel was broke. He never really held down a full-time job. He would just do little things here and there to make ends meet. But they were struggling. They had even recently received an eviction notice. And I mean, their wedding, we're talking days away. Jury Kabusi, who went by Julie, was 23, and she was also going to Orange County College. She was a dancer and wanted to go into law. Sam asked Julie if she would help tutor him in an anthropology class that he had, and she always loved the challenge, so she accepted. They ended up getting really close. He even considered her like his kid sister. On May 22, 2010, Julie received a text message from Sam. He was asking her if she would come over. But he wanted her there after midnight. That was kind of weird. But he was stating that he was depressed and he really needed somebody to talk to. Julie was definitely known as being a caring and compassionate friend. So after she was done having dinner with her brother, she went so she could go check on Sam, make sure he's okay. Sam's parents became concerned when they haven't heard from him. His father, Steve Herr, told ABC News that Sam was supposed to go to their house for the weekend. And all throughout the day, he kept calling his phone, but his phone was off. Sam never turned his phone off. It seemed like the more he called, just the more concerned he got. He went to his house. He had a key, so he let himself in, and Sam was not there but he did find the body of a woman lying face down on Sam's bed. Some of her clothes appeared to be either ripped or it looked like there was some kind of assault there. The words, all yours, fuck you, was written with marker on her shirt, and she had a gunshot wound to her head. There was no sign of a struggle And there was no sign of Sam. His father did grow concerned. I mean, I guess as any father would be, if you go to your son's house and there's a girl, 
nobody can account for. Since Sam has been back from Afghanistan, he was showing some signs of PTSD. So his dad called 911, but he was frightened not knowing if his son really did this. Could you imagine all the things racing through your head at that moment? After police talked to his father and other people, they issued an all-points bulletin for Sam Herr. Detective Jose Morales and Lieutenant Ed Everett with the Costa Mesa Police Department believed that with his military history and the fact that he knows how to use a firearm, that he could have snapped. They went through Julie's phone, and that was able to paint a picture for them. Julie had received a text message from Sam at 2.45 p.m. on May 21st, 2010. In that, he stated that he was helping out his neighbor, Dan Wozniak. Then he was heading to his parents for the weekend. But two hours later, another text came in. This one read, Can you come over tonight at midnight alone? Very upset, need to talk. He told her that he was hurting with some family crap. I can't be alone. No sex. Please, I'm begging as a brother. No one thought there was anything going on between Julie and Sam. Sam truly thought of her as a little sister. But they're thinking, well, I mean, maybe he's drinking. Could be on drugs. Maybe he tried to make an attempt and she shut him down. That threw him into a spiral and he ended up snapping. Maybe he he might have sexually assaulted her, killed her, and then fled. They didn't really know exactly what happened, but they did believe that Sam was their guy. Looking into Sam's background, he did have trouble with the law some years back. They discovered that he had previously been charged with murder, but he was acquitted. Sam and his father, Steve, they shared a bank account. So his dad decided he was going to do a little digging of his own. And he looked into the bank account. He noticed that there had been withdrawals made from ATMs in the Long Beach, California area which is about 20 miles away. Police contacted the bank. They sent them the footage, and they were able to see it from all the ATMs. This was used at four different ATMs. When they watched the video, it's not Sam, but his parents or anybody else has no idea who this guy was. So the ATM withdrawals were not the only thing that was purchased with one of his cards. They also got a pizza. When police found out that a second pizza was delivered, they thought for sure they had their guy where he was hiding out. They went to that address and they stormed the house, thinking that they're going to find Sam sitting there eating a piece of pizza. That is not what they found. What they found was a frightened 17-year-old boy, Wesley Frillich, just hanging out with some of his friends. Police were able to figure out that Wes 
had absolutely nothing to do with Julie's murder. But they did find Sam's ATM card in his possession. But he immediately told them everything. He's like, this is what happened. Wes told police that Dan Wozniak was an older guy that his mother knew from the community theater. He's the one that gave him Sam's card and asked him to make the withdrawals. Daniel convinced him that he was a bail bondsman and he needed to collect on money that Sam owed. Apparently, he was very convincing because he had an actual folder of paperwork. Some of it was even stating that this was a legal transaction and that since he was a minor, he couldn't be charged for this. He handed him the ATM card and he gave him instructions to withdraw all of it, take it all, but to make sure he wore a hat and glasses. In all, a total of $1,900 was taken from Sam's bank account. Well, of course, now they want to talk to Dan. They call him and say, can you come in? We need to question you. Dan told Lieutenant Everett that he couldn't come because he was on the way to his bachelor party. Let I mind you, they're getting married in like two days. Rehearsal dinner is tomorrow. Officers, they didn't really care. So they decided they were going to go celebrate with him. They showed up at the bachelor party. Lieutenant Everett had said that when Dan saw him, the blood, like, immediately drained from his face. He turned pale and immediately just looked down at the floor. During his first interrogation, he admitted that, yes, he told Wes to make the withdrawals at the ATM. But he told detectives that this was actually only a scheme. Him and Sam cooked up some plan that Wes would come make a bunch of withdrawals, get the cash. Sam would later call the bank and report it stolen. That way, he would get the money back. So it wasn't murder, it was fraud. But he did have more information to give them. He said that Sam came to see him and told him that he had done something bad and that he killed Julie. Sam just came out and told him, I did it. They're like, all right, well, all fine and dandy, but we're going to need a DNA sample just so we can rule you out as a suspect. That's when things changed a little bit. And then it went from, okay, but I was inside Sam's apartment on the day of the murder. So he did tell me that he did this, but I lied about the location. I was at his house when he told me. Matter of fact, he showed me. And he said, yes, I saw the goddamn body. Is that what you want to hear? He told them that he had seen two gunshots in her head. Detectives are going, red flag, red flag. They themselves had even only noticed the one gunshot wound. Not two. One. So that means... If they do find two, he had to have been there when she was killed. 
When they performed Julie's autopsy, a second gunshot wound was found. They found that shit. You know, through this whole thing, Dan's thinking, I am such a good actor. I'm just going to act my way right out of here. Well, he's about to be in even more deep shit because now you got to call your fiance. Like, we're days, two days, I think, at most at this point that you're in prison for murder. Like, you're you're probably not going to walk down that aisle, at least not with him. When he called her, their conversations are recorded. Of course, they all are. Rachel revealed that his brother, Tim Wozniak, let her know that he had a backpack full of incriminating evidence, including the murder weapon. So she's like, what the fuck is happening? And she said that she had to call the detectives back. And told her that I'm doomed. After Dan spoke with Rachel, he wanted to talk to detectives again. This time, he had yet another story, but this one was a little bit more believable. He admitted to not only being the one who killed Julie, but he killed Sam, too. Sam, who had been missing this whole time, was actually dead. He told them that he cut Julie's clothes with scissors because he wanted to make it look like an assault. I'm crazy, and I did it. He decided that he was just going to come clean. He was just going to tell them exactly how, why, when. Sam had told Dan that he had saved about $62,000 from when he was over in Afghanistan. He didn't touch any of it. Well, Dan had no job, no money, about to be evicted, about to be married, and supposed to be going on a honeymoon. He didn't know what else to do, so he saw killing Sam and stealing his money would solve all of his problems. He could have his wedding. He can go on this dream honeymoon. When they get back, they'll have some money left over. Nobody will know. He asked Sam to come with him to the Liberty Theater. He told him that he needed help moving boxes. So they got there. And as Sam is bending over to pick this box up, he shot him. He then dismembered him and dumped most of his body in the El Dorado Nature Center, which was a nearby park. On what would have been Sam's 27th birthday, police found his head. Do you know after he did all of this to Sam, killed him, dismembered him, scattered him, he had a performance to do. Him and his fiance, she was the lead female. He was the lead male. They put on the production of the musical Nine. They said that they gave a flawless performance. He killed it. Ooh. I didn't mean it that way. After their performance, that's when he was luring Julie over to Sam's place. He was using Sam's phone, obviously, after he was dead, pretending to be him. 
That's why she was so confused because he kept saying no sex, no sex. She's like, ew, you're like my big brother. He was painting the trail. Julie was really his scapegoat. Julie was basically his cover-up. That's how he was going to get away with killing Sam. Because Sam's not dead. He's on the run. Wink, wink. Police recovered the backpack, which contained the murder weapon, Dan's DNA, Sam's bloody clothes, and personal effects. I don't know what the hell that means. But thank you, Heavy, for the information. Yeah, I'm never really good at that, so I'm just going to say there's a website called Heavy. I got information from Dateline, Wikipedia, possibly Murderpedia. I'm not even sure if I did, but you know what? I really like that website, so we'll just shout them out anyways. What the hell? Where the fuck was I? Dan's trial lasted five days. His defense didn't even make an opening argument. On December 16, 2015, he was found guilty on two counts of first-degree murder. When the jury went to deliberate the sentence in just over one hour, which was described as one of the shortest death penalty deliberations, the jury recommended that Daniel be put to death. And, you know, I've wanted to do this case for a really long time. And I don't know why I kept putting it off, putting it off, but I'm really glad I did because since the initial time that I wanted to do this, new evidence has come out. Ooh. On November of 2012, get this shit. Rachel was arrested and charged with three felony counts of accessory after the fact. Her trial was eight years after these murders. Eight years. On September 12th of 2018, she was convicted on two of the three, and her max was looking at 44 months. But after five hours of deliberation, the jury came back and they gave her 32 months. She's already been released. She got released in 2019. So what happened there? You know you want to know. Chris, a neighbor, reported to police he was there the day that Sam was murdered. Chris had let Dan borrow money to help cover rent, and Dan gave him a date when he would have the money for him. So when Chris called and was like, hey, you got the money? He's like, uh, yeah, come so he goes, and he's like, well, I got to go to the ATM. And he's like, all right, I mean, is it going to take long or what? And he's like, no, no, it'll be just a couple minutes. Well, Sam came over to the house as well, and he left with Dan. So they left together. Well, minutes would turn into hours. He sat there waiting for Dan to come back. Dan did come back, but he came back alone. Now, he owed Chris $2,200, but he told him that he was only able to get $400. Neighbor felt kind of bad, like, damn, dude, like, that's all the money you got? He did also say that Rachel looked visibly angry. He said it was uncomfortable in there, and he had to go. 
But as he was leaving, he left them a $20 gift card. He wanted them to be able to get dinner. He told Dateline that about 30 minutes went by before Rachel had called him back and was like, hey, you left this gift card here. And he's like, I know, I, I want you guys to eat. Oh, no, no, you don't have to do that. Come back and get the card. No, I want you guys to keep it. No, you really should come back and get the card. She was very insistent that he come get this gift card back. And he never did. And I think he thinks that now because now when he's had time to process everything, he probably would have been another victim. He saw them together. He saw Sam and Dan leave together. She also failed three lie detector tests. She didn't tell them that Chris was there on that day. And she was also caught lying to police, making up some man in a hat. That is just crazy. I kind of always wondered if she was in on it. And I just couldn't imagine being in her shoes if you weren't. And you're like all gung-ho for this wedding. And uh, he's in prison for murder. I honestly believe if either he would have had someone else do that ATM card or give them instructions to get rid of it, it might have ended a little differently. This was very thought out. I don't know if he was trying to frame the kid for doing something to Sam. Only he knows what his motives were. That's just a crazy-ass story. For someone to think that it's okay to take two lives just so you can go on your honeymoon. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, it pisses me off. When somebody goes off to fight for this country and they come home safe and sound but get murdered by somebody that they know. It's not fair. I could keep going on this shit. So, but I want to hear what you guys think of this story. Now that you know Rachel was arrested, do you think that was correct? Do you think she should have got more time? Or do you think she shouldn't have done any time? Make sure that you are liking, following, subscribing. Leave a five-star review on either Apple or Spotify. Head over to CrimeOverCocktails.com. That way you can check out merch, listen to the episodes, or if you want to help support the show. Many ways to do that, even if it's like a one-time donation. But all right, you guys, love you, and we will talk crime another time. <laughs>